his dad kind of on a drive to Mammoth one day, like gave me a heavy dose of reality on like, you are not going to be a pro snowboarder. You are not going to be a pro surfer. You're not going to be a pro skateboarder. Like you need to find a job and figure this shit out. Like hearing that from someone like you respect, it pissed me off so much that I was like, I'm going to figure this out and fuck you. Cause like, I'm going to make this happen. And we are back with another Black With No Cream podcast, the number one resource for content creators on earth. Every Monday, we share interviews and discussions with industry-leading creatives whose stories will inspire you to follow your passion. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, and my goal is to provide you with the shortcuts, tips, and advice that'll take your career to the next level. You are now listening to episode 212, and today's guest is the legend, Gimbal God. Today, I'm interviewing Spencer Whiting, but you probably know him better as the Gimbal God. Spencer is famously known for filming the illest videos of professional snowboarders that you have ever seen. He will literally hit jumps with the snowboarders flying over 100 foot gaps while filming the action just inches away on a GoPro. His videos are insane. He's sponsored by brands like GoPro, Monster, and Oakley and travels all over the world to document pro snowboarders and major events like the X Games. And when he's not filming on a mountain, you can find him shooting surfing, motocross, and skateboarding as well. This dude is a machine. In this interview, some of the things that we discuss are how Spencer defeated all odds growing up with very little money, being homeless three times, and somehow found the right mentors and friends who encouraged him not to give up and put his energy into snowboarding. How he was able to compete as a snowboarder on a pro level, but slowly shifted into becoming everyone's go-to videographer after he was gifted one of the first original GoPros from a homie. How during one of his lowest points, he took a job working at a sushi restaurant and networked with customers, which ultimately presented him with a life-changing opportunity. How he dropped out of college to film full-time for Olympian snowboarder Stale Sandbeck, which not only gave him a steady paycheck, but the ability to travel the world and push his limits as a filmmaker. We cover his gear setup, his production workflow, content strategy, future goals, and so much more. I'm excited for you to hear this episode today. So I usually slot the spot to fill you in with any current events for Black Window Cream or my life. And I just wanted to say that I'm stoked that everyone's been enjoying our weekly newsletters. It's been fun to write up some reflections after each episode and share them out with all of you. And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet and you want to, you can do that by hitting the link in the description to sign up. Also for now, if you live in the United States or Canada, you can text me directly and get weekly motivation and lessons that I'm learning from the podcast as well. These messages are different than what you get in the newsletter, but my favorite part about it is that we can actually chat. It's been cool to hear feedback from everyone about each episode, and I've been having some really dope discussions with a lot of cool creators. So shout out to you if you've been texting me and shout out to you if you're going to text me soon. Again, links to all that stuff's in the description below. But other than that, I thought I had the coronavirus two weeks ago, but I tested negative, which is fire. But for anyone that does have it, I mean, for what I had, it, I thought it was brutal. So I can't imagine what you're going through. So stay strong. Everyone else who's not got the virus or may have it, stay masked up. Wear that fucking mask. Also vote. All right. What else is on my agenda? Um, Lauren and I adopted a new kitty last night. Our three-year-old cat, Jemmy, definitely is not fucking with this new cat in the house. So shout out to us not getting any sleep for the next few days. But all right, no one cares about my life. I'm done with these current events. Uh, the time has come. Pour up a coffee. Get ready to take some notes and enjoy the best podcast ever created. Right, motherfucking now! So ladies and gentlemen, it's a special moment for the Black Widow Cream podcast. We got Spencer Whiting on the podcast. Yo, how are you, dude? 
I'm doing good, dude. First or second podcast I've done. I did one, but it was kind of over over a phone. So this is first video one. Yeah, so we're taking it through computers now. So we're, it's a step up. <laughs> we're getting there. One day it'll be in person. Yo, I know. That, that's why I was just saying. I, I've I've been stoked on this interview to do this interview. I'm glad I got connected with you. I think Louis Vito is the one that looped us in. Yeah, I believe. Louis- Shout out to Louis Vito because. That dude is like one of the few dudes who randomly messages me on my birthday every time. And dude's a legend. Looked up to him growing up and it's crazy to know him. No, he, he is. He, he was on the podcast early. Uh, I think when I first moved into this office, which was cool. So we had him and like Toby Miller. I'm sure you know Toby. He's a fr- fan of the podcast. Yep. A good dude. But I, I know like he looped me in. I had seen your clips, man. And, and just, you know, however, it's how Instagram works. But it just sends me shit that is really fire. And I remember seeing it and be like, this is amazing. And that's a hell of a scent. You know what I mean? So I, I think from, yeah. from your aspect as a filmmaker now, there's so much we can cover. And I think from us as a creative podcast, it's like we want to dive into the creativity behind, you know, you behind the lens and hear more from you. But I'm curious just to hear like about your, your kind of origin story. Like, you know, I know you're from San Diego. Were you born in San Diego? No, I was born in New York City. Actually. Wow. Let's run it from there. Like how long, uh, how long till you got out to this side of the coast? So I would, I think I was like six or seven. My parents split up. My dad was the one who got me on skis when I was like 18 months old at Kaling And then I kind of, I was always like not really super into skiing. And I remember I saw a snowboard when I was like three. I like fully was like, that's what I want to do. Convinced my mom and she got me one for Christmas. Then when I was like six, seven, they split. And my mom, my sister and I moved to California. Mm. And that's kind of, that, that's when I got over to this side of the coast. Right. So did you, were you able to continue snowboarding when you got out here? Was that something you got to keep doing right away? Well, cause like I was super into snowboarding and skateboarding at the time. And I remember my mom, she like came home with like a bear mountain brochure. And it was like, the brochure literally was like, this mountain is a hundred percent a park, like all this stuff. And I, at the time was like kind of starting to get into the park side of things. I was, I was terrible, <laughs> but I was like, that's where I wanted to go. And, uh, I remember I was so hyped on it. And I think like a couple months later, that would have, that would have been in the fall. Um, my mom took me up there. How, how far was that from where you lived? I think bear, bear is like three hours from San right, Diego. That's cool. Yeah. I, I per- like, so I grew up, snowboarding too but i'm from iowa so our shit was pretty trash but i did go there every single weekend and i think that there was a time period where i realized like i loved it and it was really fun i did some like low-key competitions and stuff too but eventually i just found myself being better at filming than i was at snowboarding you know i had friends that were doing ridiculous tricks and i just couldn't compete so i feel like my story is similar in the starting part from you but like that's pretty much i mean like to sum things up super quick, that's what happened with me. But I feel like you have this massive advantage, you know what I mean? Like you did competitions, uh, you know, as you grow up. Yeah, so I mean, like I did, like back in the day, I do the US Opens, I did like the European Open, I did like the 2010 Olympic qualifiers. Like I've done like, I've done do tour, like I've, I've done all the pro events, except for X Games. Just the thing with me is I tend to wouldn't make it out of qualifiers. You know, I would I'd be towards the end of the pack versus making finals. So, I mean, a lot of kids, like, you could claim you're a pro snowboarder, but you ain't a pro snowboarder unless you're at the podium. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I, I wanted to be there, but I never actually got there. So that's pretty cool that, I mean, just having gotten gotten started over on the East Coast and you come out here, you kept it going throughout your, like, childhood coming up. Was that, like, the thing that you kind of stuck to pretty pretty much seasonally? Yeah, for sure. Like. 
going to like the 2014 Olympics was like my goal for so long. Like shout out to Ben Wisner. He's um, head coach of the Mammoth Snowboard team. But when I was younger, my mom worked a ton. And uh, I think we were 14. And we leased a house together with Ben. So I kind of lived with Ben. My mom like homeschooled me in the winter. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of, he, he helped raise me. He taught me how to cook, taught me how to like clean the dishes and do all that shit. But he's, it, he's not, he wasn't as so much of a coach as like people think of coaches now. He was kind of just like a mentor. My dad wasn't ever super in the picture when I was younger. So he kind of just made sure I wasn't like doing drugs and, and going down the wrong path, you know, and kept me in check so, for sure. That so he was the co- he was a coach of the team at Mammoth? Yeah. So he he was the director, but this was well before like everybody in snowboarding had a coach. It was it was more or less like my mom couldn't afford to live with me because she had to be in San Diego working. Right. So she'd come up once or twice a week even. She drove so much, but she'd leave me up there at 14 with Ben. And, you know, like I'd go to the mountain with Ben, we'd snowboard from like nine to one, and then I'd go home and do schoolwork. That was kind of the program. But so like, I don't know, it, it was more just like a group of like three or four people riding around his homies, like all progressing together rather than now it's like iPads, <laughs> like you need to do this. Oh, you're doing this wrong. Everything's like super critical and like Olympic doubt. But how do you feel like? you know that's such a it seems so rare like to have moved out here and then landed a relationship with that guy and to have such an opportunity to snowboard so much in California you know what I mean like it seems so rare yeah and like the crazy thing is is like from 14 till 19 like my mom lost her job a few times and and then eventually started building her own business but like I was like homeless like three times like I I lived with Ben and then after that we lived with my mom for a little bit and then we lost our apartment and I was fortunate enough. My girlfriend at the time had a house in Mammoth, but I would like, before I lived at her house, I was like 15 sleeping on my friend's couch for like 300 bucks a month. Wow. And, like, there was no, like, it wasn't money that like kept me going. It was just literally a string of luck. And, and, you know, like as I got into my older teens, like there were a few like influential people that that kind of backed me and supported me like outside of sponsors that kept me going because I, n- I never had like pro contracts or anything, but it was never family money that like got me to be able to snowboard or anything. It was just like, damn, my mom was like to my sister and I like, all right, one of you gets the snowboard. Spencer, you want to do that? My sister really wanted to, but she was super talented at soccer at the time. So she went the soccer route and uh, that's kind of how things rolled when I was. So younger. you were seeing like you were getting like like low key sponsorships at the time or, or what's the difference between a, like a getting a random sponsor versus like a pro contract, a pro contract. Does that last like an entire year? No, I mean, like, I mean, at the time I was flowed, like that's the term within the industry, like your flowed product, like your given product. So I was flowed by Volcom and like they would give me outerwear. There was a couple of years I was riding like Volcom snowboards that were specifically for the team, but I, I, I was never paid by right. them. And like, there is a few trips, like, like shout out to Billy Anderson. He, uh, he was the one who got me on Volcom in the very beginning. 
And like, there were a few trips they paid for, but like, I was never paid a salary. Like any money I made was off of either like contest winnings or, or something of that sort. And then I got like a contract with this guy, Anthony, who started GoPole, which is funny. That's what the tripod, my GoPro is on, but shout out to him because he, he gave me like 5,000 bucks one year. And it, it was to basically like uh, my buddy, Brandon Davis and I were, were making these videos and, and we were using his products like way before gimbals, we would like put the GoPro on. So he, he gave us like a little bit of money. So like we can continue to make videos and stuff, but like, I don't know, like I could say I'm a pro snowboarder, but at the end of the day, it's like, you're not a pro snowboarder if you're making $5,000 a I year. I mean, shit, it's more than some people, but you know what I think is cool is that it's like your entry into the sport, I think is, I mean, you know a lot of people in the industry now, but I feel like that's such a rare entrance because snowboarding is expensive, you know what I mean? Especially from the just sure. gear alone, plus you got to pay for lift passes and all this stuff. It's expensive. Uh, so to have come from really nothing and to have found your way onto the mountain compared to a lot of these, you know, there's, I feel like there's a lot of like kids that can come from wealth or just families that are well off that could make sure their kids are on the mountain and they always have the newest shit and all this stuff. Like, uh, how do you feel like that kind of shaped you as a person growing up, um, kind of surviving through it without having gotten all that stuff? I mean, I think it was just like, I was always driven. Like I always knew what I wanted to do when I was like a kid. I, I just wanted to skate. And I, I, I like grew up in San Diego, like, before we really had the money for me to be up in Mammoth all the time, I just did this. It's called California Amateur Skateboard League. And it's like, think of it as, you know, like a glorified like soccer series for skateboarding. But like, that was my goal. Like I was going to be a pro skater. And like, I remember in like my division, like the 10 to 11, I think it was like called novice or something. But like, I like would win like a ton of the regional contests and then, I remember one year I got like second at nationals Damn. and like, that was my goal. And, uh, and then I, when I was like, I think 12, I like snapped my leg pretty gnarly. And it wasn't because I broke my leg that I got out of skating. It was like, I think that happened in July and then my leg healed and it was like September. And I was, it, it was the first year that I was able to go to mammoth every weekend. So instead of doing those skate contests, I started going to Mammoth. And then after that year of going up to Mammoth every weekend, like we'd carpool with like different friends and whatnot. The following year, I, I that was the year my mom got the house with Ben Wisner, my, my coach at the time. And uh, when I was in Mammoth all year, I was like, shoot, like I can't skate. <laughs> like there's, you know, there's nowhere, there's no indoor spot to skate in Mammoth. So it kind of just like, I was like skating, 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 and then like kind of doing both. And then I just started snowboarding. And, 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 and I realized that I was good at skating, but I felt like I had the potential to get better at snowboarding. Right, right. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm curious, like as that progressed, when did you, you know, kind of start? Were you always filming, you know, especially when you're trying to get sponsored, like people always want to see sponsor tapes and so on and so forth. So it's like you yeah. guys are filming when did that kind of become part of like your daily routine? Like being able to pop up a camera and shoot, were you finding yourself shooting people more? Like, so when I was 14, like I was sponsored by this company, Freestyle Watches. And when I say sponsored, I got free watches. Right. There was right. no paper. 
But I remember I was like in my friend's room and I got a call from a random 909 number. And uh, it was this guy, Davis Paul, which I mean, like talk about it's a small world. He's actually my manager right oh, now. Oh, shit. But um, he called me and he was like, hey, what up, dude? Like, uh, I'm Davis from Freestyle Watches and I'm kind of in charge of the snow program this year. And I had just gotten featured on fuel tv's new pollution which is like this up and coming um kids in action sports so he called me he's like i saw your new pollution and uh freestyle wants to do a movie this year and we want you to film in it and so this was like at the time 14 years old getting told that like other people want to film me i was like i was on top right. of the world i was like no way this is awesome and uh it was really davis because like i was the youngest kid i was like maybe just turned 15 by the time we started filming and uh he like everyone else was a little older you know they were like 18 19 22 like they were into the party scene all that and davis was definitely a little more straight edge he played for soccer at berkeley and like he would kind of hang back at the house with me so i'd like be watching him make all this video stuff and like all the photos and stuff and i was so blown away i was like dude like I've never seen photos like of myself like this. Like, how do I do this? Like, you know, like this is cool. Like, and uh, he taught me Lightroom. I remember my first like Lightroom preset, like whatever yeah. you want to call it, was just, like super terrible, terrible. <laughs> way too much contrast, way too much saturation. You're like, this is sick. But like, I had <laughs> yeah. fun with it, you know. Like, and and he actually, when I was 14, he gave me a GoPro and was just like, dude, like you're going to be way better at this than me. Like you should film Pat Waddell who shout out to Pat. He was uh, one of the park crew at the time at Mammoth. And, and I actually, I lived at his house on his couch for quite some time with John Strader. But uh, you know, I, on Pat's off days, we just go mess around with this GoPro. And uh, I don't know, like that's, Kind of how I got started, I guess, in the very beginning. Was that the first GoPro, like Gen 1? It was, I think it was the HD, and it was like 720. Right, right, right. Like, so there had been a couple iterations, but this was like, it was all silver, huge fisheye, sketchy battery pack. But, uh, I mean, it was it was sick. Like, I remember we filmed the front three, and I was like, what? <laughs> like, that, that looks so sick. But uh, it kind of was like, I don't know. Like, you know, from when I got that GoPro to like, I would say till I was like 17, there was a little gap where like I was interested in it, but I wasn't like fully into it. And uh, my God brother, he like, I don't know what you want to call it, but my mom kind of helped raise him. And uh, he had a Canon uh, T2i or yeah, T2i. Yeah. And um, he gave me that for my birthday when I was like 17. And then I started shooting some photos. And then, you know, like, I started figuring out how exposure worked and, and, and all that. And I was, I was a lot more into photo on the DSLRs and video, mm. but um, yeah, it was kind of around like 17. I, I, I don't know if you want to mention anything. Cause like after that. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so cool to hear, like to, to see the process of how a camera shows up to someone that eventually will go on to love them and be obsessed with them and make that part of their career. But the early iteration of that is so tight to me. And, and it's also cool because I feel yeah. like a lot of really dope uh, filmmakers come from 
skating and snowboarding. Like I feel like just wanting to capture or see yourself, like you talk about your, you've seen your picture of yourself doing something really dope and you've never seen that before in that quality. And there's something about that yeah. that just can get you amped up. And to I, I, I remember watching like picture this and like JP Walker part videos and just seeing like Samba, Mac Dog and all these, all these snowboarding films. And I would just consume this shit. And there was a time where it like switched. It, there was a time where they started bringing in lights and they had like sliders and, and jibs. And I was like, holy shit, the production value around snowboarding is like, it's cinematic. It made me feel like a, a filmmaker, you know what I mean? Like, so did that, did that kind of start to come as, you know, you're taking more photos where people starting to hit you up to do photography work? Well, that was Davis. Okay. Davis is Mr. Jib Crane, Dolly, fuck, like yeah, crazy yeah. man. And I remember the first shoot we were on, he had a 5D on a Dolly. And he always just, he, like, he shot things totally different than I'd seen any other snowboard filmer do it. And I was always like, I just want to shoot like Davis. And uh, I don't, like, over the years, it was like, I think I was 16, seven. It was the, no, I was 17. And my buddy Brandon and I were like, all right, like, you know, we've made a couple videos. Davis at the time, he went from college, played pro soccer for Chicago Fire, then played for Norway. And then, like, I think things were kind of wrapping up with that career. And he got offered a job at GoPro. So every year when Mammoth opened, our goal was like, let's film this GoPro edit. And like Davis will get it is GoPro video of the day. And then we'll get like 30,000 views no matter what. Like if they posted it and it was kind of our way to like get some exposure to where then we could go to sponsors and be like, look, hey, we're actually getting views. And I think that was when we were 16, 17. But going into like my senior year of high school, it, and like freshman year at college, like that, those winners, like uh, Brandon and I came up with the idea to do like Mammoth Mayhem. So it was a web series every two weeks that we filmed on GoPro. And I remember I was like, we'd always been filming on just the pole, right? right? And we were getting pretty good at like keeping it steady. And I remember straight up, I was in vampire literature class it bouldered like most like (laughs) just one of those stupid electives right right and i'm like on my phone and i was like thinking about like how we were going to shoot that season and i was like in davis the previous spring he brought this super sketchy homemade gimbal on remember like a scorpion mount that you like filmed on it was essentially a fully like DIY engineered gimbal that the GoPro engineering team built onto a scorpion mount. And he showed me a video of him filming in a golf cart, like following, I think it was Russell Wilson or no, it not, sorry, I'm terrible with sports, but the it was player? a pro MLB oh, okay, player. Right. And he was just filming him jogging. And I was like, dude, that looks like Hollywood. Yep. Like that literally. And this was on a hero. Crazy. Team. I was like, that looks like Hollywood. Like I need to figure out that for snowboarding. And if I can figure out that for snowboarding, I think we're going to be on right. some shit. And I remember I looked up online. I was like gimbal, like GoPro gimbal. And first thing that pops up, Feita. And it was their first iteration of a gimbal ever. I immediately emailed them. I'm like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is our plan. Can we at least get a discount code? They gave us 20% off. I bought it in like 
in class, like one of the next days. And then we had that gimbal like mid December. And uh, I remember the first video we ever made with it was like our best video to date. Like I remember from run one, I was like, dude, this makes turning look cool. We could do nothing and it looks cool. And uh, I don't know. And then we did the the Mammoth Mayhem series. We filmed like probably 11 videos that season every two weeks. Like this was before vlogs. Right, 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 right. It was like, we were just filming these videos because basically if we had a video done, we could, we had contacts at Snowboarder Magazine and Trans World to where like, I was going to say the Trans World post them. Yeah. So we could get them on those websites. I think I watched those, bro. I think I, I didn't even re- put all this together. That's crazy. Cause I would literally dream about like, oh, I would love to snowboard a mammoth someday. And like the park setups are so cool. And those videos were nuts. Wow. Yeah, dude. So that's like, that's how we started. And then like we started getting a little bit of attention, you know, like because we did have views. And then, I think it was the following year we basically I we started the company that is still my company now called the Mayhem Projects and our and our idea was to kind of like up that level of like producing consistent videos all the time but at the same time I kind of hit a spot in my life where like I broke up with my girlfriend of 5 years or she broke up with me Damn. and just like super like rock bottom scenario right right, right, right. and 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 it was Along the same time that we kind of started the Mayhem Projects company. So things kind of took a little different of a turn. I got a little bit of a reality check. And uh, I mean, that I mean, that is right there, probably your synopsis of how I how I started filming. And at the time. OK, so wait. So are you saying that the, the breakup thing is a transition into the next chapter of your life? hundred percent. OK, so before we get to that. So when you were when you were you know, flying the, the gimbal at that time, what DSLR gimbals were out at the time? Because I know Movi came out with their rig at the time, which was massive. Yeah. Were those, I mean, if you I were, mean, were it you... was like, for me, the only reason I used GoPro is I straight up could not afford a DSLR. So that, that, right. that stuff was like, so out of my realm. I was like, right. I can afford this. I'm getting the GoPros for free. Like shout out Davey Smith, my GoPro team manager today. He believed in us when we were like 14. That was almost like, that's 11 years ago. He's been working for GoPro. And he's always made sure that like we've had cameras and like everything's been dialed. But yeah, but that makes sense. Like the cost, the the bare entry is so high on those like massive performances. And when gimbals were first coming out and like shaking the filmmaking industry, it was targeted towards people who are going to spend shit tons of money on it where you know you're stuck with what you got yeah and so you're able to turn it into that's so sick and i also like at this time remember i was still trying to be a pro snowboarder i wasn't trying to be a filmmaker right like brandon is just as good at being gimbal god as i am like when i blew my knee brandon did all the follow cams with the red in new zealand for curse last year like he's just as good but he's fucking way better at snowboarding and that's why he's a pro snowboarder and he's yeah. still doing it so then at what point did you you know you know this breakup happens and you're kind of shifting into like having experimented more with consistent video releases and you're trying to get better at that so how does it shift into you know i'm trying to be a pro snowboarder to damn i'm, I'm really having fun filming this stuff well 
What basically happened is, like I said before, I had no sponsors. Last two, like last senior year of high school and freshman year of college, like I lived at her house in Mammoth. So I had a free place to stay. And then like her dad helped me with like traveling to like a couple of the contests. And like, thank you so much, Bill, for that. Because like without his support, I don't think I would have had the faith in myself to like keep going on. That's awesome. But after all that went away and I realized, shit, now I got no pro contracts. I don't have a mom or dad to pay for this stuff. My only option is living at Brandon's house in Mammoth and uh, I need to find a job. I had like 90 bucks in my bank account. And I was like, I had like, I got to find a job. I remember I went into Wave Rave that night just to see the homies and uh, Courtney Polavina, who's one of my friends in Mammoth. She was the manager of Sushi Ray at the time. And I just asked her straight up in Wave Rave. I was like, hey, Courtney, like, is there any way I can get a job like busing or whatever? And she was like, yeah, when do you want to start? I was like, can I start tomorrow? And literally <laughs> that night, I like got a job at Sushi Damn. Ray. This was like mid-November. You said it's a sushi spot? Yeah, in, in Mammoth. It's still okay. there. It's like in the village. Nice. But so that season after the breakup, you know, like I got no money. I got no job. I'm not a pro snowboarder. And I I just like looked at it is, you know what? All my friends, like we had like a contract from GoPole and a contract from this company Trace, which was like a GPS device that tracked your speed and altitude and stuff. And uh, they were basically paying the Mayhem projects to produce these videos. And we had hired this kid, Drew Hastings at the time, which was like, he lived in the dorm next to me at Boulder. So I'm like, you know, we break up. The guy who was kind of funding a bit of this is gone. And I got like just enough to pay Drew. And like, so we paid Drew like a thousand bucks a month. And uh, they were, you know, Drew was traveling with Brandon. Brandon was like doing X games and all the contests. And like, I'm sitting in Mammoth, like at his house, like, you know, pretty bummed that like, I can't travel with everybody. But I think working sushi and just like it was kind of sick i would go to the mountain at 8 a.m leave at 4 clock in at like 4 30 go home change come back at 5 because like you had to like take your break right away so i got to ride eight hours a day and i just like i remember myself i was like i'm only gonna take this year and just like get good at riding a snowboard like screw the park i just want to get good at riding my snowboard and then there happened like in January, like Peter Morning, which like one of my first ever paid filming jobs ever. Snowboarder Mag and Mammoth were doing this thing called Line of the Winner. And, or no, 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 sorry. No, Legends of the Fall Line. That's what it was called. And the concept of it was to do a line that went all the way from a random spot on Mammoth into the park, like one follow camp. And like, because of the videos we were doing with Mammoth Mayhem and Mayhem Projects, Peter was like, Spenny, you're the guy. And so Mammoth was paying me like 500 bucks for the day and I'd do that. And there were like four of them throughout the year. So like, you know, on top of my sushi money, I was like, I was balling. I was, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. You know, I make yeah. 400 bucks a month working sushi or 500 to film this video. I was yeah. pretty hyped. But like, that winter, which was the 2015-2016 season, I just rode my snowboard as much as I possibly could and filmed 
for Mammoth, basically. That was like the only paychecks that that I got from filming. And the so you're saying paycheck. you're saying the five hundred dollars was for the one day where you do the thing where they start you in the middle of the mountain and go to a park. Like yeah. that was like a, a yeah, series I, or something. Yeah, and I did that four times throughout the year. So like Mammoth okay, paid me like two thousand dollars my first year, and that was that was all the money that I made from from filming. Right. So then, so that kind of you know, when you, when you look at it that way, where in one day you can make $500 or an entire month, you can make 400. Does this kind of change your thought process on how you kind of want to approach the filming side of things? Like, man, if I did this like six times a month, that changes everything. Well, it was kind of funny. Cause like, I wasn't even necessarily trying to be a filmer at the time. I was just more pissed off that like now Drew, who like I was paying, he got approached by Torstein Horgmo. And so, like, I was paying Drew a thousand to film Mayhem, and then Torstein was paying Drew two thousand to put those Mayhem videos on Shredbox. So now they're not going on my YouTube channel; they're going on Shredbox, which is great because yeah. it got more views, and Brandon, Nick, and Kyle all got more views. But like, in my head, I like I wanted to be a part of Mayhem, and I was kind of like a little excluded. And so I was like, I still wanted to be a pro snowboarder. So like, this whole season. I was just trying to grind and ride and like get as good as I could. But I think it was like, it was like more towards April when I was like, I kind of realized it's like, and I think this applies to anybody in any industry. It's uh, there's goods and greats. Figure out who you are before you end up chasing yourself down a rabbit hole that you're going to regret later on in life. Mm. And the fact of the matter was I was a good snowboarder but I wasn't a great snowboarder. Mark McMorris, by the age I was at that time, had five X Games gold medals under his belt. When you're 20, 21 years old, you, you might think you're good, but you're not that marketable anymore because there's a 13-year-old kid who can do a triple court. You know, right, like, right. It, right. you, you got to, like, get a little bit of a dose of reality. And, and, and you know, I, I really thank Dan Crouch for that. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows Brock Crouch, but his dad kind of on a drive to Mammoth one day, like gave me a heavy dose of reality on like, you are not going to be a pro snowboarder. You are not going to be a pro surfer. You're not going to be a pro skateboarder. Like you need to find a job and figure this shit out. And I think that like hearing that from someone like you respect it, like it pissed me off so much that I was like, I'm going to figure this out and fuck you. Cause like, <laughs> I'm going to make this happen. And I think like, I just have this like fire in my head. Cause like, I felt like I kind of got excluded from my crew. I was like at home at mammoth watching them go to all the contests and have a good time. I was working sushi when they were in mammoth. So I couldn't even hang out at night. Yeah. And like, I was just like living this life that I like didn't plan on. And all my friends were like living my dream. And like, I remember that year, I was just like thinking like how I could figure it out, you know? So the fire that's lit, obviously you're thankful for the advice at this point because you shifted a bit, but did it take you a while to kind of shift from, uh, you know, fuck you, I'm going to make this happen and really, really attack trying to be a pro snowboarder or was it fuck you, I'm going to make this happen in the space somehow, some way? I didn't care how I was going to make it happen. I remember it was... It was actually really random. It was like at busing tables, I had a random conversation with this dude and we like had had somebody in common, right? right? And this was like 
maybe February, January, February, and I'm busting tables, the restaurant's kind of dead. And I end up having a 20 minute conversation with this dude. And like, this dude is the sports marketing director at Oakley, Ryan Everett. And uh, basically, like, I started telling him how I was a filmer and, and this and that. And he was like, dude, like, we're doing Oakley week this year and we need a filmer. Like, do you want to film Oakley week? And, uh, you know, like, I was, of course, I was like, yes, we exchanged numbers and that. And then, like, I didn't think much of it because, like, I always use sushi to kind of network. Like, I'd always try and have conversations with whoever to see, like, whatever. And I, and I yeah. had business cards at the time, like, for Mayhem Project. So, I was, like, I was hustling. I was trying That's to, like, smart. for sure get clients or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I remember in, like, March, Ryan hit me up. And he was like, hey, dude, do you want to film Oakley Week? And uh, I, was, I was blown away. I was like, no way. Dude, I get to shoot for Oakley. This happening. And, uh, and it was also, it happened to be a Legends of the Fall line. So this is the first time I've ever double dipped. I got paid by Mammoth to shoot Legends of the Fall line, but I also got paid that day by Oakley to shoot social content for them. And it wow. just so happened that we shot a line starting at uh, Broadway chair at Mammoth with Iroetala, Seb Toots, Sven Thorgren, and who else was there? Uh, no, I think that was, it was Seb, Eero, Sven, and I'm totally blinking, but it was like three or four of them. And we filmed this line and I remember it blew my mind because like the good and greats thing, Sven Thorgren landed seven double back rodeos. He did one straight air and then landed seven double back rodeos in a row. Holy Didn't shit. Fall. And I was like, you know what? I'm throwing in the towel. Like <laughs> I am never going to be that good. I'm totally okay with what I'm doing right now. But yeah. like spent a hundred percent just like basically slapped me in the face and was like, bitch, this is how you snowboard. Yeah. And without yeah, right. like ever knowing me or saying that. But like in my head, I was like, Yeah, you know, th- like this is a fantasy. Like I'm never gonna get there. I'm six foot three, I'm lanky, I'm clumsy, spends fucking five six and just a freaking Swedish power horse. Right. And uh we ended up filming that line for Oakley, and they were so blown away by the footage that day that they also hired me the next day to shoot the mini pipe. And instead wow. of 500 bucks, they were gonna pay me 750 bucks on top of the 500 they paid me yesterday. And I was like, like I'm making way more money than I'm making at sushi. Like, this is crazy that this is happening. And uh, I remember that day after we filmed Mini Pipe, I like went into the Unbound office because a lot of my friends worked at, you know, Park Crew. And uh, I was in there and TJ, who is the, the manager at the time and director of Unbound, he ran everything. Uh, it was just me, TJ and Bridges. And I had gone in there to hang out with TJ. But if no one on this podcast knows Pat Bridges, he is... Uh, the godfather of snowboarding in a sense. He's a, been the creative director of Snowboarder Mag since the beginning. He's orchestrated okay, pretty much every single notable snowboard interview, many of the movies, many, every cover. He is, he's the GOAT, you know? But he's in there. And I know Bridges because I've been at Super Park and Bridges knows who I am, but like it's, you know, I've never actually yeah. known Bridges and like had a conversation with him. He just right, knew right. me as like a kid it's super park or whatever. And, uh, Bridges was talking about like how he was going to get a ride home 
And uh, TJ was like, Spenny, you have a truck, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, cool. Give Bridges a ride to Motel 6. And then I was like, I was like terrified. I was like, I got to be in a car with Bridges for at least 15 minutes by myself. Like, I don't know what to say to him. I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, you guys both love snowboarding. Anyways, we drove down. And of course, it's like mammoth president. Like, it was like spring break, 45 minutes of traffic down oh, Motel shit. 6. And I'm sitting in the car with this dude, like, uh, uh, and it ended up going pretty good. And at the end of the car ride, I asked him if I could get an internship at Snowboarder Mag. Because in my head, I was like, you know, like, I'm not going to be a pro snowboarder. But all the successful people that I'd known at the time who weren't pro snowboarders interned at Snowboarder Mag. And I knew the internship was like in the summer and the fall. And so, like, I was like, I'm going to intern at Snowboarder. Like, I'm going to ask him. And he didn't give me an answer that day, but there was this event that Snowboarder Mag put on called the launch at Big Bear. And um, I went, I got invited, so I went. And it's like under 21, just like a mini super park. And I remember pulling up to one of the jump sessions and uh, Tom Monterosa, who was the editor of Snowboarder Mag at the time, I like pulled up because Tom was kind of, his name's T-Bird. T-Bird was... Uh, um, he was like radioing in everybody and I, and I pull up the T-Bird and T-Bird's like, he's like, so I heard you're a new intern. And I was like, what, like what? Like I got the job. He's like, yeah, Pat told me this morning that you're the intern. And wow. I, like, I hadn't been told that by Pat, but like, obviously like T-Bird knew. Dope. Right. So that's kind of how I like got the job at Snowboarder. And this was like end of March. And then maybe two weeks later, um, I, we were in Mammoth and it was just a classic day. Like I said, like, you know, I was, I think it was 2 p.m., 1.30 p.m. I was thinking about going home because the conditions were getting kind of bad. And I get a call from Pat Bridges and I, I'm in the gondola line at Mammoth. And uh, I've never gotten a p- call from Pat Bridges. And right. I was, you know, kind of nervous, like pick it up. And he's like, Hey, Spencer, how are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, Oh, I'm about to get on the gondola. He's like, you want to start your internship today? And I was like, uh, yeah, hundred percent. He's like, cool. You're going to film stage for the blackboard experiment. Meet me at the top of, you know, chair six at <laughs> PM. And I, I go up there and I have my gimbal stick out in my backpack, go up there. And I, I'd, I'd like met Sage, like, Cause Sage knew Brandon because of the U S team. And, uh, but like, so I, I said, what up, Olympi- and, uh, an Olympian like, rider each other, but we weren't like homies. And, uh, so snowboarder mag did this thing called the blackboard experiment. And, uh, like bridges, like wanted me to film follow cams for it. Right. And, uh, yeah, I was like, I remember dropping in and like, I would, it was Joe Carlino, Mike Yoshida. Carlino is like one of the most baller snowboard filmers in the game. He filmed like Nike, never not. He's like filmed everything. Like he's the goat. And um, Mike Yoshida is a staff photographer for Snowboarder Mag. And uh, he's shot everything in the game. And then John Cavan was there as well. And he's another one who is just all time legend. So you got like these three legendary filmers and me. And then on the radio, like Bridges was up top with like me and Sage. 
and they were radioing in uh, for the camera angles. And um, I remember I would just hear on the radio like, oh, gimbal god dropping in. And I was like so pissed. I was like, these motherfuckers are just straight up making fun of me. And I was like so <laughs> over it. But we ended up having a good session and like shot. Everything went well. Sage killed it. And uh, that fall, like in the office, that was like my nickname, Gimbal God. And because then, of that. Yeah, that's that. That's how that name started. So like that was not self-proclaimed. Like, wow. Not at all. Like that was 100% brought on by them. And then we can get into the story of like how it changed in my Instagram a little later on. But that's, that's the, that's the back end story on how I got started. That's it. That's an incredible story. And like shout out to internships and you having the balls to ask, ask that question in the car. Cause like you you could have ignored it. What do you have to lose? Right. Exactly. I, I, so when you, can you explain to people like, like you said, you were about to film a line with three legendary uh, filmmakers, you know, and they're all about to shoot. And you said they're radioing in camera angles. When you guys shoot runs like that, how does that work? Like, how do you guys? Well, so, so this was like, this wasn't any special type of run. It was just like Sage was testing out ten different boards that was for this series called the Blackboard Experiment. So, like, you know, like I don't know what they were shooting, but everyone was maybe shooting tight, shooting a wide. And then like photographer shooting and, and like this was for like the magazine spread. Got it. But I was shooting the follow cam to also be used in like the recap video. But like, yeah, basically like we just had like four different angles shooting the same feature so we could cut it together and make something right. more interesting than not, you know. So when you started following riders, when was it that you started? were comfortable enough that you were like, yo, all right, you're going to hit that big jump. I'm going to do it too with you and get as close as humanly possible to you. Well, it was never like a, it was just like, I always hit those jumps and I like, I could do double corks back in the day. Like I could, and it's 3000 times easier to just hit a jump yeah, with a right, pole right. than to do a double cork. And right. that's how I saw it. Mm. I was like, and then triple corks were coming up and I was like, Ah, I'm way too tall for that. Yeah. And um, I just never had the confidence to really like get good at those tricks mentally. And it's a lot of a mental game. So like when it came to filming, I remember like back in the day with Davis, like shooting us, I was like, I knew how I wanted the trip to look. It just started to become a game of like, whether or not the riders are going to trust me. Right. But like a few of them, like I started filming most of the very first shots with like Brandon and Nick Baden, Kyle Mack and in like my homies that I knew. And I remember there was like one time Kyle Mack and I filmed it, uh, X games, big air. And I think that uh, clip on snowboarder mag got like a quarter of a million views in like an hour. Holy and shit. like, that was like the first time there'd been like a proper edited follow cam at X games, big air. And that, I think it, it was like, top 10 most viewed uh, snowboarder mag clips of the year. And that was like at the beginning. So like people started to like know that like I was doing that, but like hilariously the first X games I went to in 2015, everybody was clowning on me. Thought I was like an idiot. Who's the idiot with like the eight foot pole <laughs> with the GoPro on it. And everyone had their like normal DSLRs. I was like scared. Cause I like didn't know anyone. Yeah. And like, you know, flashback now, everybody's got a gimbal and like, or a GoPro Hero 9 with a 
huge pole. Yeah. Every coach, team manager in the game. It's like kind of funny because all those people talk shit on me back yep. in the day. Yeah. So. Running back on them. That's crazy. I, I think that there's something about, you know, your confidence and ability to snowboard really well. And then the riders to be able to trust you to you to allow you to get that close. Like I was talking about it earlier and I was um, thinking like, it's crazy. Cause at the, at the same time, it's like, you're sending out such huge jumps and sometimes you have some fucking crazy bails and shit. And I've seen the footage of it and you guys, you, you'll get wrecked. And I'm like, damn, it's crazy. I wonder if like FPV drones at this point could do something similar. And I'm like, you know what? It literally couldn't. Like it maybe that was, that's like a safer way to film something like that. But at the same time, you. But could, it's like the emotion thing. You yeah, know? you have more reps, like and you're there. The drone can't be exactly like the same level. Even the best dudes. Yeah. Like, it always like flies away, and it's a great look. But it's like it's like Jamie Anderson says, and like I don't know, she's like one of my best friends. Love traveling with her. Haven't seen her in a while, but she's like she told me one time. She's like. It's almost like there's so much good going on and so much like good emotion that like there's just too much positivity for something to go wrong. And of course it happens, but like, I don't know, like when I'm in the right spot and the rider's in the right spot and they freaking kill it and do the trick and I know I'm like in the air three feet away, like everything's going perfect and we land and we both look at each other, <laughs> it that might be the best feeling in the world. Like yeah. the second that you both know that you nailed it and that like, like I don't even have to look at the camera and I know a hundred percent that like it was perfect. That's so dope. And like, there's this like a weird like bond right there. Right. It's like, I didn't kill you. You didn't kill me. <laughs> we fucking nailed that. Let's like go move on, do something else, you know? So, so, you know, you go from this, this internship, the internship, you, you know, is it like you're filming a lot for this internship or what was some of your no, duties? I'm, I'm Bridges bitch. Like okay, word. whatever he needs. Like, I think the first three weeks of my internship, I sat in like a 90 degree warehouse and I was like packing DVDs for Bodie Merrill's like new movie, like rendered useless or something. Or no, what it might've been reckless abandon. Shout out to like everyone. I'm terrible at memory. Like I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. You're talking so to like, you're talking if to I Dory. messed up the name of your movie, please don't kill me. But yeah. like I packed all of those freaking DVDs and like into a zine for three weeks straight. That was like my wow. first job. The first three, I, I hated every day of it. But, I was like, but people knew you could film. So like at what point does it, I mean, so does the internship just go the duration of you just being the bitch and then eventually you... Well, eventually Bridges started letting me... Like, it was when Instagram stories first came out. And he knew I knew how to edit. So I started, like... They, they were... I think they released Snowboarder Mag's movie Resolution that year. So I started... I was like, Bridges, like, give me all the footage. Like, I know how to make Instagram stories. So I started making, like, Instagram stories for them with, like, swipe up to buy on on iTunes and, like, so it, it, he started to see like a little of like my, uh, my value. Right. And then, and then I think as the season developed, um, like he would like, I would Mark Clavin, who is the online editor right now. Um, I, he kind of came in halfway through my internship and it was funny. Cause like, I thought he was an intern too for like six weeks. Cause he was in my cubicle. Cause like no one was there, but Little did I know six weeks later, I was in his cubicle and he was letting me be there, but we became really good friends. And, um, like Clavin, like he came, he, he had just finished, uh, 
master's photography school. So he, uh, he had been a little out of the snowboard scene and was like asking me about videos and tricks and stuff. And I'd help him out. And I kind of helped him out throughout the season, even though, cause I told bridges like in November, I'm going to go snowboard. Cause back to the hustle. Remember I said that, um, go pole and trace I'd worked for a little bit. Right. Well, after that year of sushi, I was like, screw that. I ain't doing that again. And I had done two years of school at Boulder at this point um, for finance. So I, I, I knew how to make decks and how things kind of worked and whatnot. But um, I made like, I basically made a bunch of decks for GoPol, made some for Trace and was like, yo, this is what I'm going to do. Like, if you can pay me this much, this is what you get. And like did cost analysis is, you know, like wow. what your growth metrics will be. Like I went, I went full business school on them, nice. but it turned out to where like I got on a monthly retainer with Trace, which was a company Sage owned a part of. So like I was getting like two grand a month from like starting in August. And then I basically was able, like my only goal was I had to edit all these social videos for them and film with Sage once a month in the winter. So like I had to film with Sage, you right. own the company. And like Sage and I didn't really know each other too well beyond the blackboard experiment. But like while I was working at intern or snowboarder mag, I was working at Rusty La Jolla, just a surf shop. And I was saving those paychecks from Trace. I was living at my mom's. And then I was like making a little bit of money at um, Rusty La Jolla. And then snowboarders internship, I didn't get paid, but like I worked two days a week. So, you know, come November, I was able to like go to Mammoth, live at Brandon's again, like stay on the couch. And then December came around and uh, I had to go film with Sage, right? So I remember I went out to Park City like on December, like 23rd or something, or maybe it might have been, yeah, it was it 21st to like 23rd. I went out to, to Park City and like Sage, like, I remember I had like Christmas Eve dinner or something with his family and uh, his ex-girlfriend's family. And it was pretty funny because like one of those clips on my Spencer Whiting Instagram at the time when we left, I posted it and it got like 14,000 views, which like up until that point, I'd maybe gotten 2,000 views. So it was like, whoa, like something's happening. Like, you know, like some starting to, to get it play, but like, that's kind of how I like developed out of the snowboarder mag internship. And I was getting a, a super small amount of pay because like 2000 bucks, you know, with your food, your travel and airfare, like that got me to get to the events to sleep on the hotel room floor. It, it like Brandon, cause like he was invited to all the pro events. So like, yeah, he would let me crash on his hotel room you know, I had like random friends who would let me crash so I could at least save on that front. But wow, that was pretty much my salary. Like 2016, 2017 was like two grand a month. And I just like slept where I had to and, and made it happen. So then at that point, when did you, when did you take and coin the gimbal God handle? Well, it was like, I remember in like, like, have you ever heard of beautiful destinations? Yep. So Davis starts working is the VP media creative director of beautiful destinations, January one. Okay. I go on a trip like to Costa Rica with him 
over New Year's because we don't have to talk about this, but I ran like a little like surf thing in Costa Rica with one of my friends who lived down there. Like we basically just like tried to sell packages. So we set Davis up with a little trip, go down there and my whole plan, like I just wanted to talk to him about beautiful destinations because I'd applied for like the job and like, that's what I wanted to do. I, I like saw kids like Sam Colder and like all these guys traveling and getting paid. And I was like, yo, like I'm going yeah. to figure out a DSLR. I know how to edit. Like this is where I'm going. Right. And uh, Davis, like kind of like, and I was doing the trace stuff at the time, but like, you know, I wasn't paid beyond trace. Like I was like looking at BD as like, dude, if I could just get a job there, like I'm going to like move up the ranks and all this. And then I remember in March, I, uh, I was just finishing up basically like my trial video for beautiful destinations for Davis. And then I was at us open and trace called me and they were like, Hey, Spenny, blah, blah, blah. We're not making any money. Like we can't pay you past March. And I was like, I kind of like saw it happening. Snow season was winding down. Right. But then my last paid job ever was Oakley week, you know, like back to that. So I shot it the year before and this year Oakley wanted to do it a little bigger where they were going to pay me for the whole week. And I was going to do all the content for them. Hell yeah. And, uh, so Oakley week ended up going super good. And ironically, Stalle was there, but his board bag got lost. So he never snowboarded. So like, I never saw him really until like the last day. And like, he was super intimidating. And like, I knew who he was, obviously. And he had no idea who I was. Wait, so which, I was like, which dude is this? Stalle Sandbeck, who like, he's, he's, he's the goat. He's the reason that I'm Gimbal God. Okay, gotcha. Like, but on the last night, we had a party. And Stalle came up to me and we were a little tipsy. And he was like, hey, Spenny, like, I have an idea for a project and you might be my dude. Do you want to go to Locks in two days? And this was Saturday night. And like, we were going to leave for Locks Monday morning. And I was, uh, this was my spring semester at uh, Penn State Online Business School. So like, I would paid for this on my own, like took out a loan. Like I, and then Stallways asked me to go to Europe. And of course me being me, I say yes. And, uh, I remember on that plane, I was like pretty much committed to dropping out. And like, so sure enough, like all of my finals were due that week. And my finals were like, I think I was taking six classes in three of the classes. It was 75% of my grade and the other two, it was 50% of my grade. And I just remember I was like, this is the opportunity I've always wanted. I'm with Stolly Sandbeck, Torgir Bergram, Alec Ostring, or Alec Ostring, Len Jorgensen in Lock, Switzerland to film an RK1 video, which had only been produced by Olav Stubbard at the time. Like wow. Olav was like RK1's filmer from day one. Mm -hmm. And like Olav to this day is like one of my biggest inspirations. Like that motherfucker is seriously such an artist it's like on another level yeah but you know here i am and like stalle like he didn't even want me to make the rk1 video there was like another dude that was gonna make the video he just wanted to see if i could film for this project but like i dropped out of school like i never looked at my online classes anymore and i didn't tell stalle about this and then like i remember the first day we filmed and it was kind of shitty but i like stayed up all night 
like didn't sleep. I slept for like 20 minutes and I made him a YouTube video. And I was like, dude, like, look, yesterday was so sick. Like, look at all these fall cams and stuff. He's like half asleep drinking an espresso. Like, wait, what? Like we didn't like, holy shit, this is pretty cool. And he was down and we posted it. And then throughout that week, you know, he was like, okay, you're, you're, I, I like you. Like you might be the guy for this project. And we started talking about him hiring me. And I was like, yo, like, I'm not going to work for you on a project basis. Like you got to hire me full time or I'm not doing this. Cause like I need a job. Right. And like at the time, Davis Paul had offered me a full-time job, health benefits, everything at beautiful destinations. And, uh, yeah, this like was like stall like this is what it's going to be. And so we like, we marinated on it for a bit. And, uh, that week, the other dude, Avon, who was a badass filmer as well. Um, he was supposed to make the RK one and I was just going to film it. But in my head, I was like, dude, I, I have the vision for this. Like I want to, I want to just, can I edit it? And right. like Stalla ended up letting me edit it. And I remember we finished filming on Friday and on Saturday, I was like 75% done with the edit and I was <laughs> supposed to go home on Sunday, but I was like, stall, I can like, you just fly me to Oslo and like, we'll finish it tomorrow. And then like, it'll be all good and we'll release it. So Stale flies me to Oslo for 24 hours. I do not sleep. I've been up for like 40 hours at this Jesus point. Christ. Fully editing. And like, I get it done in his living room. And like, I mean, he can tell you now, like, I think it was like one of his like favorite videos that like that crew's made. And pretty much then and there, he was like, all right, you're going to go home tomorrow. And then like, we're going to, I'm going to fly you back out here in three weeks and we'll come up with a plan on like what, what your deal is going to be. And, uh, and we're going to start shooting this project. God and, damn. um, and yeah, it was, it was crazy. Cause those three weeks, dude, like so much regret. Like I failed. I, I don't even know if I failed. I've never like called the school <laughs> to ask, but like I fully, I had all A's up until that point. Too. Oh, so shit. it was like, I could have just taken the finals, but in my head I was like, I can't do the school and do the quality of work for Stale that I know is going to be necessary to get him on board right. with the idea of paying me. Yeah. So I just was like, screw it. I got the opportunity that I've literally lived for my whole life right now. Let's freaking go. This, so then he, so you do fly out and everything gets greenlit. You get a job essentially. Well, the funny part about this whole thing is um, I go to New York city prior to going back to Europe. So like this was end of April. I go to New York City on like the 26th of April. Davis offers me a job, full-time, full offer. And then I go to Switzerland and I'm like, Stalid, I have an offer. You have to match this and we're good. And we do the whole week and he's like on board. We're gonna match it. But flying home from Zurich to the States, Stalle gets freaking stopped at customs because he he didn't have a visa. And since he's paid by uh, US companies, they deported him. So he goes back. I'm like, where the hell is Stale? I go to Super Park, which is Snowboarder Mag Super Park and back to the internship. Like they had me kind of running the Instagram account. But like, there was just this rumor of like, where is Stale? Like, <laughs> oh, like all fuck. like no one knew. And like, he like, I think it was like day six of Super Park. Like, we kind of found out he got sent home, but it was like three weeks where like 
he went on vacay. He was like, I got deported, blah, blah, blah. And we had all these plans to shoot this project at Super Park. I'm sitting there like, am I like still have a job? Like <laughs> what's going on? Like, I don't know. And I was kind of stressing out because I was like, dude, I want to like get this dialed. But like Stala just like kind of was being lackadaisical. Wow. And it was like mid through May. He like hit me up. He's like, yo, like, sorry, like been hectic. But yes, we're going to hire you. And um, do you want to, are you cool with moving out to Norway on uh, the 1st of June? So then I, I, I moved to Norway and that was June, 2017. And it was supposed to be a June to November deal. We were going to do six months. He was going to, he was paying my salary and travel. And to anyone watching this, no sponsor budget. This motherfucker paid directly out of his savings account. No Fs given. Like he was a hundred percent dedicated to making his vision happen wow. without waiting on anyone else. And I will forever respect him for that and be indebted to him. Cause like to me is crazy. It was not cheap, like to fly both of us around the world. And like he didn't have all of that money on travel budgets. Like he bought ten thousand dollars in camera gear for me off the bat that I repaid him throughout the year with my salary. So like he, he invested a lot in me off the bat to like get things going. That's insane. So for those six months, I mean, just getting the illest content you've ever had at that point. Well, the first like six weeks was terrible. The first shoot we went to, it rained for 10 days. Oh. Then Stolly got sick. Then the freaking it was crazy. Like we didn't really film anything we had planned to shoot that summer but then got down to Australia and like we started cranking and we got to November and that was, so this was 2017 right before Olympic year. And the plan was like, he was going to go to the Olympics and focus. So in November we were going to like, like chill, yeah. but things were going so well in November that he was like, dude, we're like, we're going like, I'm, I'm not stopping. And so he continued to pay me and, and yeah, we just kept rolling and like, the stale life started doing super well. My Instagram in April, that first trip with Stale, I was like noticing, I was like, dude, whenever I post like travel photos, like I never get any likes, but I'll post a follow cam and it'll blow up. Right. So I was like, what should I change my name to? Like, you know, I wanted to, I just wanted to make it a page about snowboarding. Yeah. And the first video that like I posted of Stale and locks on that first trip with him, one of the filmers of the snowboarder mag movie hat like commented hashtag gimbal god Damn. and i was just like let me check if that's there and they had it and then i just never looked back and i deleted like every normal photo i'd ever posted and i was like and it's funny because i was like i was like at eleven thousand followers it went down to like eight thousand because of and the change first super park stall got deported i was shooting for oakley for that super park. Cause they had hired me to shoot super park. My Instagram went from 8,000 to 17,000 in a week. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. Jesus Christ. Insane. That is literally insane. Damn. And so at that point, like coming up snowboarding, I know you said you traveled a bit, but had you traveled like that? Like going to Austria and like yeah, Europe? Like, and not like that. Experience wise, like also like, what's your, family thinking of this shit like it's it's working well it's funny because like my dad was always super unsupportive of like ever like everyone in my family was like it was like don't drop out of school like this is dumb blah 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 
my dad was like pretty against it, but like him and I weren't really on the same page anyway. So I didn't really care too much, but my mom was like all mad. Like you need to finish school. And, uh, like I just, it was like in my head, I like was like, you guys don't understand like this, this is it. Yeah. Like, right. I'm going to make it. And it's funny. Cause like, I don't know. I was just so passionate that I had a job like filming. Cause like, I don't know, that was so crazy to me. And then I literally got to work with like one of the only people in snowboarding that I actually like thought was one of the best my whole life and looked up to. And it was like, it's crazy. Cause like we had only known each other for five weeks before we started living together hundred percent of the time. Damn. That's and so like, crazy. Yeah. It was insane. Like you, I'm assuming through having film with him, you're starting to get more exposure on who you are as a creative, but also you're networking and meeting other snowboarders, right? Like, honestly, like, like living, like just being with Stale, I feel like helped me gain credibility, you know? Cause like, like whoever was filming with Stale, people respected. So like people started to respect me in like a different way that like, I was never really respected within snowboarding, you know? Yeah. Like when I was trying to be a pro snowboarder, like, you know, like I'm not going to name names, but like there were like, people in snowboarding when I was trying to be a pro snowboarder that would bat the other eye. And then like, then I became this like filmer guy who like, you know, I, I had something to give for them. And like, now they're like freaking sucking up to me and want me to do shit. And right. Like, I don't know. It's, it's funny seeing it from both sides of it. Cause like, I, I don't respect people like that. Like, and I've seen it because I was in it as a snowboarder who didn't make it. So like, you're going to look at me like, Oh, whatever. That kid's got nothing to offer. Right. But then like two years later, I'm working with like Stale and I do have something to offer. And then you're going to be, Oh dude, best friend. Like, what do you want? Like, it's like, nah, dude, you're yeah, whack. Right. I don't back that. So did you find yourself getting more opportunities outside of him? Like were, were people trying to have you like re- almost like recruit you at that time or how, how did it work? Cause how, and how long did that job last for? You know, like he paid me, salary he owned the footage and like he paid my travel and then it was like uh so 2017 due tour oakley was like yo we're gonna pay you a day rate you know for for five six days to shoot due tour and do everything and we'll pay for your travel and like technically if we went by a contract which stalin i never had a contract but like that money would have been going to stalin but like he Stale was super nice and like let me work for other people as long as I was also getting everything done for him. So like that's how like I made quite a bit of money the first year on top of what he was paying me. Right. And then it was like X Games 2018 where I was filming all these athletes for Oakley, but a lot of them happened to be monster athletes as well. And Austin Hodges, who shout out to him, he's the fucking goat. He's one of my best friends and and my boss. Um, but he is the team manager at Monster, and he was uh, he was super stoked on just like all the clips of the Monster riders I'd gotten, and Monster wanted to use those on their social media. So he signed like a, a they call it a TNC, like a temporary null contract, where it's like it's just a contract for like those clips that period of time. Oh, wow. So that monster would be able to use the clips I filmed on social media. And then they gave me a payment for that, 
But technically, like if Stale wanted to do things by the books, that money would have gone to him. But he was super nice. And like, he allowed me to keep the money I was making from like, like, you know, he paid to get me there. And now other people are wanting to give me money. Right. And like, technically, that could have gone back to him because like he wasn't getting sponsor money to pay me. Right. But like, he was, that, that's why like, I don't know. People could say whatever the hell they want to say about that dude, which like, I don't think anyone would talk shit anyways. But like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's like a he brother. Sound, yeah, he like, sounds like I'd fucking take a bullet for him. He sounds like an incredible mentor. Like, and I just, I there's no freaking way that I would be here at this podcast right now if it wasn't for Stolly. That's crazy, man. That's dope. That it's it's cool to see how you know the brands. Because what's interesting is like if you scale back to like those films I was talking about earlier, it's like you really paid attention to these long form pieces of media in snowboarding and skateboarding, it's like you wanted to watch the full film. You wanted to see the the whole part in a film compiled together, and it was an hour long, hour and a half, whatever. And then it social media is shifting things to become very about, like, social. And I know you were making parts and, like, these edits, but then these, like, micro moments and these clips become so powerful for the athlete, for you, and for brands that you can almost churn, like, an entire business out of that. Well, it's crazy. I think that first 2018 X Games I filmed, I want to say it was Sebe doing a double backflip on the big air jump. And it like it was on ESPN X Games, got on Sports Center's Instagram. Wow. Had like, I think collectively that week that Instagram was seen like over 50 million times. And like that's like a pretty fucking crazy stat. Like that's I was fucking- like I was blown away. And that week, like, you know, like I hadn't even hit a hundred thousand followers at this point. Like I went from like 35,000 followers beginning at X games ended X games with like 55,000. Wow. Like, I was like, my Instagram was just like going like this. It was kind of like, from my point of view, I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. You know? Well, and it's like you hit this, this like satisfying content that people that aren't even really snowboarders or in the snowboarding community can fall in love with. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's like such bingeable content. You're like, holy shit, this angle doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Well, like, I don't know, dude, I'm so over the like core snowboarders that want to like talk shit on everyone. Like seriously, there's so, there's like a microcosm of snowboarders that just their favorite thing in the world is talking shit. Right. Like they'll be talking shit on me right now doing this podcast. Yeah, like, of course. At the end of the day, don't we all just want to have a good time with our friends? Facts. Like, you know? Yeah. And I think the only reason that I film the way I film is like, I, nobody can just go hit a 90 foot jump. But if I can like go show my mom, mom, like, look, this is what it looks like. Look at how crazy it is. And yeah. my mom's like, whoa that's sick you know she gets it she feels like she's there i think that's pretty cool you know and like super cool i think like you said earlier in the interview snowboarding is expensive it's really like the fact of the matter is it's like super unattainable for like 99 percent of people but like if you can go on a cell phone and i can like give you a moment where like maybe you feel like you're snowboarding or like maybe it mesmerizes you and like gives you a little stoke of happiness like I'm just trying to make people smile. Like it's always crazy when like people come up to me and they're like, dude, literally I love your work. Like every time I see one of your clips, like it blows my mind. Like 
I don't know. Cause like I went through like depression and like some bad mental stuff, like in my like low. And like when I felt like I hit rock bottom and to hear people send me messages that like, yo, your clips inspire me or your clips brought me from being depressed. Like, you know, like, like we get messages, like every time I turn on a stale life, like it's the best thing that happens. Like so many things have been going bad in my life. And when I see stalling you laughing, like it just like frightens my day up. Like, yeah. how do you hate on that? Right. Like, nah, dude, man. like that is so dope. Right. I think that like snowboarding can do that. And, I, love like, that. I think we all need to be like, do our, do our part and like promote that rather than like, talking shit on people because their style's whack or because they didn't do this right or right. they got that sponsor. It's like, dude, yeah. look at yourself in the mirror. Like, what are you what are you benefiting by, like, talking down on someone? Nah, absolutely, man. I, th- I think I remember, like, coming to uh, the ski resort with my friends from my town. It was, like, a two-hour drive to get there. So we would, like, all get stoked and go up there for the weekend and we'd ride and there, then there was, like, the locals. And so, like, the locals, we always felt like fucking hated us Cause we were there and we probably sucked ass and there's their space. You know what I mean? But, and, yeah. and I remember it being like this weird competition and then eventually just like becoming friends with one of them. And then that turned into becoming friends with all of them. Like some of my best friends have been made from that shit. And I would, it was like the best thing ever, but there was like this weird competition thing that came with it at first. But I don't even think that was there. I think that was just in our head. Like, damn, do they not like me because I'm taking up their space? And then we all had fun (laughs) together. It's like we could have been having fun from the jump together. You know what I mean? We we took this extra long period for no fucking reason. Now, that's, I I do love that strategy. I just, I think it's crazy. It still blows my mind, dude. Like, I, I just trip that I get to snowboard every day. You know, like I I thought I wasn't going to get to snowboard every day. Like before Stale, I was 100% committed to never snowboarding all winter ever again. I was like, I'm moving to New York city. I'm getting a creative job at some agency. I'm going to be a little editing bitch for a year, grind my (laughs) ass off to maybe get promoted to where I can start traveling and going on some film trips. But like, I, I was a hundred percent committed to that. And like, had Stale not hired me, there's no way that Gimbal God would ever be a thing. That's incredible. Yo, so I'm curious, when you, you said that, uh, you mentioned a, a dude earlier, I think with uh, Monster, and you said that now he's your boss. What were you talking about with that? So Austin Hodges, so pretty much like, we, you know, Stale and I did um, did the season, and, and we had been working on this project. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the video Lines. It's a... Uh, it's yeah. like the three minute video. That's like a endless follow cam. Yeah. It's un unfucking real, man. That was great Thank editing, you. by the way. And shooting. Thank you. So that was the project that Stale thought I might be the guy for when wow. he wanted to hire me. But I was like, you can't hire me for that. You got to hire me full time and we'll do that. But we'll also do all this other stuff for YouTube and whatever. And it was that summer and um we had just done a shoot i don't know if you've seen my video golden hour the like sunset in norway that's incredible um but we shot there and we had all this crazy footage and then this is like a year and a half of stolly paying me and we were trying to figure out a way to get monster to start paying for it so we made a deck and it was like all right lines is going to go on monster's channel golden hour which we already shot. We're going to edit for your monsters, YouTube channel. And then 
basically I'm going to be like an athlete and at all these events throughout the year, I can only work for monster. So like I can't film for Red Bull. I can't film for Rockstar. Like monster energy basically owns me. Right. So like that's what that deal encompassed. Wow. But um that you know, like Austin always had my back and like I don't know, like I dude, I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am at all if it wasn't for like Cody Dresser, who is Austin's boss, or Austin Hodges, who he's like a hundred percent had my back like the whole way and so you're I don't know, it's pretty crazy. You're, so you're signed like a you're signed like an athlete to get content specifically throughout the year at different like competitions and events, basically. Yeah. So that's yeah, sick. and like same with Oakley too. Like so for a while I ran the Oakley Instagram as well. So like I like did that full time. So like I would just shoot all the content at the events because I was with everybody. Right. And then I would run the Instagram because like I would license my content to Oakley for web and social. And then like we could use whatever I shot on the Instagram. Right. So that's kind of how it was. And then now it's pretty crazy that like I just shoot the content. Oakley gets to use it. And then um, I don't have to do the posting anymore. They got a dude to do that. Right. So that, like that was a bit of the work. <laughs> Save some time. It's actually pretty crazy. It was supposed to come out tomorrow, but it's coming out, I think on Friday or next week. But like, from like being a nobody in filmmaking and literally not knowing how to use a DSLR at the beginning of 2017 to like, I just shot uh, like a global campaign for Oakley for Stolly Sandbeck's like collection. Right. That's, it's like a full collection. Like half of Oakley's winter outerwear this year is like the Stolly team collection. But it's crazy that like, through meeting someone bussing tables, like I met the sports marketing director, Ryan Everett, who then introduced me to Sean Messing, who became the global director of action sports. And Sean Messing has taught me all the business I know in the game. He's had my back 100% of the time, but it's crazy that like Sushi Ray, meeting Messing, shooting Oakley Weeks, meeting Stale, working for Stale for three years, and then getting the opportunity to shoot a global campaign for Oakley where like there'll be digital windows and like all the airports and like, Insane. I don't know if it'll be on times square, but last year's it was like, that's like still, I don't even know what life is. Like I'm just putting my head down and grinding. And like, I, I, I like, it's great. I'm so grateful. And like, I, I can't believe that the people who have my back, like trust me to do these things. Cause yeah. like, I, you know, like when I started working for Stolly, like I didn't know what I was doing. Fake it till you make it. You know, nice. like I, I pitched them. I was like, this is what I can do. I haven't necessarily done it before, but <laughs> I think I know how to do it. Yo, that's, it's well-deserved, man. From like literally living off the couches and being homeless to all the way to the top. Like that's straight up. That's what's crazy. Like I didn't come from money at all. That, like, uh, you know, like that. And, and a lot of people do and make it, and that's fine. But I will say that, like, I think people who have it a little harder earlier in life, and, like, if you're listening to this and it's, like, you're in a situation like I was in in 2014, 2013, way back, it is possible. Like, you just got to manifest that shit. Like, I was talking with my friends about this last night. It's just, like, if you manifest it and truly, truly believe in it and, like, think that you can make it happen it will happen it might not happen tomorrow 
It might not happen the next year, but like it is going to happen because that is the only option is for that to happen. And like, I think if you believe that it's a hundred percent certain that it's going to come through because like, what's the other option quitting? Like, yeah. No. Yeah. Damn. God damn. Well said, my friend. I feel like, damn, that's such a crazy story, bro. I'm so glad we got to share that on the podcast. I, I, I'm curious. I would love to go to hearing about your current like setup and the way you do your production because I know you have a specific style. And also, I saw you have a tutorial on your site. So does the tutorial yeah. teach you how to do what you do? Is it is it for coloring and stuff? I could, what What is the tutorial? Yeah, so like like all the Instagram clips I post, those aren't like, that's not like GoPro to, to you know, like right. I film in like a higher resolution, say like two, four, five K. And then like Instagram uploads it 1080 by 1350 for vertical, 1080 by 1920 for reels or story, or like 1080 by 1080 for square. And like what I've found is you can like take that higher resolution clip, crop it in, and then like motion track yep. like your clip to make sure the dude's in the center the whole time. And then there's like, I have like kind of like a export sequence that is in the tutorial that I like show you how to export. Like, and I just learned it over the years, like of like Brown figuring air. it out. And then I kind of got like, you, like if you get the tutorial, you get like eight LUTs that I created that are like, they almost work for everything. Like, right. you know, like, if, like you don't have to run them at a hundred percent. I usually do, but like they pretty much work for like all types of footage. I've used them for my red black magic GoPro. iPhone. Oh, yeah. Like, they're pretty simple. And like with let's everybody has their own style, but like, if you do like the way my videos are colored, like you get that with it. That's sick. No, everyone should check that out if you're curious. And I think that it, it's cool to hear from your perspective of, you know, I mean, you've done enough and you've worked with enough lighting situations to be able to dial in your LUTs for those specific setups. Like it makes too much sense, but. And I think a lot of, you know, like a lot of creators LUTs are made for like tropical environments or cities or whatever. Like mine are pretty, like they're not changing hues of things, which like a lot of LUTs do. Like they work really, really good in snow because like, that is like snow is white. Right. Don't make it anything but white. Right. Like, we don't want to see brown snow. Right. right. White snow. You right. Know, like, yeah, yeah. Facts. So when you when you're shooting, um, break down the gear. Like, can you, I know you're obviously with Go, and do you have you have a partnership with GoPro then? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been sponsored by them for like three years now. Good move on their part. The footage is <laughs> ridiculous. That's <laughs> the best thing. So yeah, what what's the breakdown of like how, what kind of gear are you using? Is it all GoPro gear? Is how you shoot? In 2020, gimbals for 90% of people are gone. All you need is this little thing. It's a GoPro Hero 9. And uh, this case is called the Media Mod. And it, uh, it basically, your Hero 9 plugs straight into there. And then it's got a directional dead cat on there. Oh, that nice. sounds insane. Yeah. And then um, I use these like uh, Polar Pro filters, which like I'm also supported by them. But you can uh, you can take the filters off, and it's uh, if you don't know what an ND filter is, it's like sunglasses. So like one of the main reasons GoPro footage people say it looks bad is because a you're shooting with a high 
sharpness, so digital sharpening, and B, the shutter is so fast that everything looks jittery. So basically the ND filter can slow your shutter down to a point to where it looks cinematic. Um, on the new GoPros with HyperSmooth, you don't necessarily want a 180 degree shutter. I'll do it sometimes, but you'll notice more jitters. But like if you shoot like a 90 degree shutter, so that would be like, you know, if you're in 60 frames, you would shoot instead of 120, you would shoot 240. It gives it more frame, like a faster shutter for hyper smooth to work. But that's what I that's what I use. And then I will just put it on a pole. And you notice I got this Mophie thing. Yeah. Which I'm not supported by Skull Candy, but they do make a pretty dope little thing. And the media mod, which is how I'm running my whole lighting setup right now. Um, it's got a little USB C plug-in right there. So cold weather, no worries, because you just plug your Mophie into there. Wow. And that's how I've been doing this webcam the whole time. You never have to worry about your battery. There we go. No, that's smart. Yeah, I was gonna, that was going to be my next question was how many batteries are you taking out there on the mountains? <laughs> dude, dude, I filmed the Harley video for four hours straight and my battery was at 100% and my Mophie was at 80%. That's ridiculous. Well, it's, it's essentially if you, if, if you have more, uh, you know, like people who shoot on red cameras or more cinema stuff, it's like having a V-mount. Right. Like the right, Mophie right. is like a V-mount. Yeah, of course. And then so like to continue, you know, I just got this little red Komodo thing, which I'm going to try and put this where I put the GoPro. But, uh, Damn, really? you know, it's still like a GoPro is this big. Yeah. The Komodo is still this big and about, you know, it's a bit heavier. And about $6,000 more we'll expensive. What up? <laughs> and about $6,000 more expensive just the body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I do, like, I, I do want to, you know, like, start breaking into, like, more commercial work. And, and I don't know. It'd be cool to shoot for, like, some movies at some point. Or, yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. But, like, the red, like, if I'm shooting long lens or or whatever, like, it's the color science behind the red cameras are so rad. And you know, like red cameras before the Komodo were pretty pricey. Komodo is still pricey, but like a little more affordable. Yeah. Much more affordable. And it's, so you're telling me that the gimbal guy no longer is really using a gimbal. No. Well, well I do. I have a Movi in there, so I can still claim it that I use on my Komodo. <laughs> so I have a Ronin S and a Movi for my Komodo. So I, I, I can still claim it. So the hyper smooth feature in GoPro is just so nuts that it's like really you're not even needing a step. Dude, it's so good. Like I was, I mean, I can say it now because the Hero 9 is so good, but I was not a fan of the hyper smooth on the 7 and 8. And like I always used the gimbal with the 7. And I even, if you follow me, you know I made, I made a, my uh, roommate is an engineer and we 3D printed a harness for the Hero 8 on the Karma Grip because GoPro's marketing was like, no more gimbal, we want to push hyper smooth. Right. But it's like hyper smooth wasn't there. Like for mm. me, I was like, dude, this sucks. Like yeah. I was I was mad. Yeah. But then I made the harness and it worked good. But yo, the Hero 9, that's some shit. And yeah. it, dude, 5K 24 on a GoPro, it looks like a red camera. Like it straight up looks like a red camera. Like yeah. it is so beautiful, so perfect. I, I'm I'm like actually blown away that like 
literally this camera costs less than this memory card. This <laughs> costs 530 card. bucks. This costs 450 yeah, bucks. He's talking about the memory card for his, for his red camera if you're listening on audio. Yeah, because I am not someone to just talk on because I'm sponsored by them. Like I've been using GoPro since the beginning and this is like the first time they made a mini cinema camera. Right. And like if you are, you know, in a situation where maybe you need a, a shot that's a little more cinematic, but like your normal camera can't fit there or you want to go vlog, but like, you, you know, you don't like have the ability to be like super mobile. This is your, this is your ticket. And like, I'm just, uh, I would like to do this. Well, basically these cold shoe mounts, yeah. the uh, GoPro mini Zeus, like they just slide right on there. That's like, sick. I wonder if, if I can show in the video, like see the Zeus mount. Yeah. Like you can make, like you don't need this. This is, this is for the, uh, you know, the super good crazy audio. Right. But like, it's pretty damn good yeah, that's, for a little vlog camera. I, no, mean, I, I mean, I'm blown away. The, I've only used it for about like a month now and it's like every day I learn something new. Well, it's like the more GoPro pushes the limits, the more y your job enhances. You know what I mean? Like the fact that it gives and, you... And let's not forget, it's waterproof. Mm-hmm. Yep. My RED camera, if I want it to be waterproof, I got to put it in a housing. I didn't even think about risk. that. $10,000 going down the drain because some salt water leaked in. Right. That's like, very true. You can film 5K underwater. You could film 2K and 120 slow-mo. Like, I mean, it's, you can really step, step your stuff up on the GoPro these days. It's pretty rad. So then what's your post-production process? Like, I know, you know, you get done shooting in a day and you're going through red footage. Is it just, you're tossing the Instagram, like you already talked about the, the layout there, but like for sound design, is it, Anything specific or is that literally the sound from the camera? No, that's raw. Like that I just, I've had in the past. So you know how I said that microphone is super good now? Yeah. The GoPro. Yeah. So I would just use the GoPro media mod now, but in the past I had a second microphone hooked up. Right. So I would sync the audio from the second microphone to the one filming and it, it, that's all raw audio. Like, that is how it sounded. Jesus. There's no sound design. Yeah, that's insane. No, they're, the clips are super cool, dude. And I also love that, like, seeing you're doing, like, surfing. You take it surfing. You, there's other action sports that you di you're dipping into. Is that is that through, like, your contract with, like, Monster? Or are you, like, getting sent around to do other? Totally. Like, yeah. I mean, when COVID hit and we couldn't snowboard, like, like my boss's younger brother is Axel Hodges. I don't know if you know that name. Oh, that sounds mad familiar. He's like a pro motocross rider. Oh yeah, so you were and, running around doing the shots in the in in that park setup. Yeah, so that's his that's his property, and like I was out there with him, and because like I I you know I want I want to stay relevant, and I think in this day and age we've all learned like you got to hustle, man. Like everyone's looking to cut budgets, and and I think for me I was like okay, like this is a perfect opportunity to a get good at shooting surf, get good at shooting moto. And like this last weekend, I shot some Harley Davidsons doing some crazy stuff, totally illegal in San Francisco, <laughs> but Harley Wheelies 14 drops Monday on Unknown Industries YouTube. It is literally absolutely crazy shot in 5K on the GoPro. Damn. And uh, I don't know. It's like, it's rad. Like Monsters completely enabled me to like totally chase my passions and, and 
um, they, they've like, I don't know. I just, I, I gotta like freaking thank those dudes for just supporting my crazy ideas and, and keeping it going. Cause yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for like Cody Dresser and Austin Hodges. No, it's a good support system. What, like, what are your plans? You know, what are your aspirations moving forward? I know like you're talking about experimenting with higher quality cameras and gear and experimenting with potentially films and stuff. What, what are, what's on the slate? I mean, I, I mean, you can ask Stale. We're both pretty bad at planning, but, uh, October 25th, um, actually tomorrow, the 15th of October, it starts, but, uh, Stale and I got invited to do X games, real snow. Okay. Um, this year is a little different. It's not street. It's not backcountry. Anything goes, I think it's like 20% creativity, 20% difficulty, 20% music, 20% cinematography, and 20% execution. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's that gold medal. That's our freaking plan. That'd that, be like, sick. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking my head up until I got something that I think will compete. But it ain't gonna be easy. I'll tell you that. And when, everybody's yo, good. When you're when you are at speaking of X Games, when you are there, um, and you're getting the content on on, on whatever the setups are. Are you just doing that during um, like trial runs and stuff? Are you you're able to everyone's yeah, able dude, to shoot? All of that's happening within a set like two three hour practice. Like there's no like it's like all hectic. But right. the X Games real snow thing is basically we have from October fifteenth tomorrow through January thirty first to make the best possible ninety second video part we can, and then there's a fan vote. So that's part uh, that's one thing you can win and then there's a judged event which is like those criteria i mentioned and it's stolly sandbeck sage kotzenberg marcus cleveland zeb powell and dusty henry henrickson as far as right now so that's i mean that that's the plan everyone's a freaking heavy hitter there's right. no, no easy ways about it everyone but, um, everyone listening needs to make sure they go throw that vote down yeah yo fan vote stolly sandbeck <laughs> Gimbal God, get on our YouTubes. We're gonna need it. Hell yeah! And like we're get, we're gonna be kind of showing like behind the scenes along the way. Like like Davis Paul, my manager, he's gonna be shooting the behind the scenes. I'm gonna be on my YouTube, kind of showing how I shoot things. Like I've never really had a YouTube, but I'm I'm gonna make Stalley's YouTube the stale life, like super crispy, like you know, like high production. Right. And then my YouTube's just gonna be like pretty raw, like. Yo, these are the settings I'm shooting, and this is why. Right, right, right. Like, yeah, that's really cool. Like, I think, I think that's like, I know, like when I was like growing up, that would have been pretty helpful for me. So Absolutely, it, man. You know. So, so what else? Uh, I mean, as we wrap this up, it's like I know you you have your store. So, if people wanted to come check uh, any of that stuff out, like what what uh what else can they get from you? I know you got new hats in the works. Yeah, dude, we got these gimbal god. They're uh, called the fun guy hats, and like, so we got metal clips up there. So these are like, they like flip down and <laughs> it's, dude, it's super convenient because hear me out on this. Yep. It might look crazy, but you're in the village. It's a snowstorm. You guys are going to dinner. Everybody's like squinting, like trying to walk through the snow. You just put these down and you're all good, dude. You can walk straight through the snow. It's super easy. And like, you can just snap them up top. There's a long like thing right here. So you put your normal goggles on. But then, and then this year, you know, with COVID and all the lift lines and everything, you're going to need a face mask. I hate riding with a face mask 
keep it right here. It's it's on super good. Go into the lift line. Boom. Button that up. Got your face mask. You're Boom. all down. You're good to go. Boom. That's so convenient. <laughs> but dude, like it's hilarious too, because like we did not plan on doing the face mask for the pandemic. Like, That's crazy. We had the face mask as a part of it for snowboarding and then a pandemic hit. And like every time I check out at the grocery store, they're like, oh, did you make that? What is that? I'm like, yeah, I did. It's going on my website. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we're doing that. Like we got like this keep it clean t-shirt and I don't know, we're, we're just kind of rolling, having fun. Like I, I've never made clothing and, and my buddy Brandon Davis and I are kind of like, he's spearhead, spearheading a bit of the art direction and we got like crew necks, windbreakers coming and we just do like super small monthly drops. Right. Like, we pretty much make between 25 and 50 of everything. And like, we've like pretty much sold out every, we've only done two drops, but that's like, great. I think it's cool to like have something unique, you know, like we're not going to make it again. It's right. like, if you buy that hoodie or buy that t-shirt, like you're one of 50 and then we'll make yeah. something new. So no, if something awesome. like sparks your interest. Like, I don't know. It's, it's cool. And Damn. like, we'll link, we're, We'll link, we'll drop links to that in the show notes for sure. So everyone can check that out. Um, but yo, dude, I appreciate your time, man. This has been fucking awesome. You, you got a, a crazy story and I didn't even know any of that shit. So I'm glad to have learned about it on here. Hopefully it's new, new to people out here. Cause it's inspiring, man. It's like, if you put in that work and you really, really care about something and, and, and you stick to it, like that dude told you, yo, it ain't going to work out for you. And you said, fuck that shit. And you found a way. And now like you, you inspire mad people all over the world. So it's, it's, it's commendable. But yo, so before you leave, this is what I do. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to, everyone's, you're going to put, pick a hashtag. Okay. So it's a custom hashtag. So when people listen to us, they're going to hear it. And they're going to tag me and you. So at Ben Rivers world, and they're going to go put it in your last post on Instagram, whatever it is, when they're listening to this, they're just going to drop the hashtag and they're going to tag me in it. So we both know that they listen to the podcast all the way through. So what do you want the hashtag to be? Mm, like it, like a ideally it's a short hashtag though yeah it can be anything you want people have said some wild shit on here okay shoot ah uh, hashtag komodo killer komodo killer <laughs> yeah all right. all right bro anyway i appreciate you is there anything else you want to leave with the people no just hey keep grinding stay hungry my friends love it that's all i gotta say but thank you for listening all right man i'll talk to you soon all right later ben yo that's it for today's episode thank you for tuning in if you enjoyed the show go ahead and hit that subscribe button And if you want to connect with other like-minded creatives, share your work, get feedback, ask questions, find job opportunities, and so much more, join our free private community at bwnc.com slash join. We would love to have you. And if you haven't had a chance to check out last week's Morning Roast, you should definitely do it. Search for episode 211. It's titled, Why You Should Never Overpromise and Underdeliver. Solid information for anyone who's out there working with clients and what you should definitely avoid when working with them. And lastly, I just want to give a big shout out to you for supporting the show, whether you've shared the episode out with other creative homies, left us a review on Apple Podcasts, or engaged with us on social media. Whatever you do, we appreciate you. Enjoy the work week, keep creating, and I'll see you next week.